how does one need to show up in order to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work? What are the practical skills and tools that boost one's practice of leadership in order to do that? These are the challenges that we as leadership practitioners approach every day as we observe and coach people in all kinds of roles, in all levels of organizations, and at organizations of various sizes. In this podcast, we'll share our experiences, the experiences of the people we support, and what we see as working. I'm Jonathan Rosenblatt. And I'm Marlene Jabrowski. Welcome to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. Hey, JR. Hey, Marlene. So I was thinking about what one of our Learning Circle participants shared a couple of weeks ago. She was interested in the question of how to humanize relationships at work. We worked with this in our Learning Circle and we got somewhere really lovely. And I took it away and I was thinking about it and I was like, where did that question come from? I don't mean why did she ask that question, but why did everyone else in the learning circle nod their heads and become engaged with how do we humanize at work? Because we're human and we go to work and we work with other humans. So where did we go wrong? Where did work become something that had to be or has to be humanized when in fact it's humans? It's a relatively new concept, and I think it was brought on even more so when we all started working remotely, and all of a sudden, the typical things that were little nuances of when we were at the office, and I claim were sort of hidden when we were in in that environment, now you come into the virtual world where a lot of things around you know, the people interaction, those hallway conversations, those things that like... I. I don't know for you, Marlene, but for me, like I didn't even think about when we were with people in the same room or people in the office, kind of take a step back and you're like, whoa, well, that's missing, right? Like, where do you find out about what the other person did for dinner or what's even top of mind, right? There's a lot of transactionality about the way we interact with each other now. It was like that before. And now in this virtual world, it's like the next level. I would add to that the sort of the organizational focus, the structural focus. There's a hierarchical element that plays out as well. Um, I think of another Learning Circle participant who shared the idea that in, in sort of the workplace, it was normal to ask her boss questions about what was going on in the person that who she reports to in their life. But once things have come home and it's through Zoom, that didn't feel natural anymore. So I think that hierarchy is part of it as well. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we can even just unpack that a bit because, I mean, obviously I've been working in the same corporate context as you have for the past, I won't say exactly how many years, but there's still for me a memory of just how weird that was when I first came on board because I felt like I was getting the message that I had to unlearn a kind of human connection in order to fit in in the corporate workplace or even not the corporate workplace, just the, the, the modern, you know, that, that, that aggressive workplace, the technological deliver, 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 and just get, get stuff done. Right. And it was strange for me because I came from a world where like in my, my academic world, it's, it, it too has organizational structure. It too has hierarchy. It too has a certain element of transactionality. And yet, Although I was living a world of deadlines, it didn't pull us away from human contact. 
And so what is it specifically about the corporate contexts that do that? And initially, I was just told by the people, again, I was sort of jaw drop and going, well, why, why can't we show up ourselves? And they're like, look, if you want to get anywhere in this place, if you want to climb these ladders, and I'm like, I think I want to climb these ladders, okay. And they were very kindly mentoring me. And they were basically teaching me how to dehumanize. For me, the work that's become our work, but but where it was for me was not really believing that and thinking, no, in fact, that humanization is precisely what we need to address complex problems mm-hmm. in today's modern you know, world that these aggressive companies need in order to succeed. A lot of what's going on these days is that there's ultimately more work to do than there is time to do it. And a lot more complexity and a lot, I mean, there's a reason why all of these different frameworks of how to work and kind of reduce uh, the complexity of things and and add additional agility into all of these things. But when you take all of that away, the general response or the, just from a corporate world, we'll call it, is we got to get this, we got to get this thing done. And then the next day is like, oh, something else happened over here and we got to respond to that. So now we got to get this thing done. And they just pile up. When things pile up like that, there's only so many hours in a day for a given person, and there's only so many given people on a given project. There's only so much budget to fund so many people. Notice, like it's one constraint after another after another. So when you're working in such a constrained system, there is a tendency to want to optimize. And so you optimize. Now, again, not that I'm saying this, that I agree with this. This is just what I'm saying come up in pretty much every single conversation that I've been having at least over the last year and a half or so is you have to optimize on delivery and getting stuff done. And this thing we call humanizing is perceived to take time away from that. And I remember, you know, like originally embarking on this leadership practitioner journey, my aspiration was to bring that back because it was the realization that in order to go as fast as we need to go, we might need to go a little bit slower and create the conditions for which people can do their best work. Well, hey, it turns that in order to create those contexts, you need to bring the humanization back, right? And that's kind of where, for me, all of this work uh, for the leadership practitioner started because I felt I was missing it being on all these projects of like drive results, get results, get to done, deliver, deliver, deliver. And I'm just like, this isn't fun anymore. These aren't the conditions where I can be the best version of myself and do my best work. It's not just not fun. It's very easy to lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Of course. When it's all reduced to transactionality. So if the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is to drop in the bucket that this thing is done, then that's a system that's optimizing for me to drop in a bucket mm-hmm. as many done things as possible. And that's not a system that's optimizing for me to have spent my time and energy building the right thing. Mm-hmm. And in this complex system where we want to ensure that we're building the right thing, as we said it you know, back in podcast one, it, it's so critical to tap into the knowledge and the skills of everybody who's available precisely because we're strapped for time, we're strapped for energy, because there is more to get done than we have time to get done. So it's all the more important to spend the time 
to ensure that we're doing the right things. And in order to do that, we have to, to shift away from the transactionality in order to improve our ability to deliver, you know, on, on a more global scale uh, effectively. Well, and so this is where it gets into uh, what ends up being, a, a, I find, a really heated debate because I can claim, and I'm just thinking of, of a bunch of situations uh, I've even just been in recently where there was this idea. I was like, yes, we have a complex problem. We're going to bring all of these smart people into the room. And you're just going to figure you're just going to figure out the solution. So what you were saying, but I'm going to take that one step further and say that's not actually enough, mm-hmm. right? Because what it turns out, we had one meeting where we were just spinning around, right? Like we all knew what we needed to solve, but we weren't getting to any kind of action. Funny enough, and ironically enough, we weren't getting to done. So then we're like, okay, we ran out of time, so we needed to have another meeting. Interestingly enough, in this in that meeting, same thing happened. So. Yes, you have a whole bunch of smart people in the room that all bring a wealth of knowledge in their respective areas, and yet somehow don't know how to work together or don't know how to create those conditions to solve the problem. Right. I've seen situations like that where you have very clever people, and instead of moving around a shared goal, you can have people sort of jockeying for position, back to that whole idea that the context that they're working in is hierarchical. There might be, you know, the person who shines the most on this team, this, this, this group is the one who's going to get the promotion. The idea that then we need to collaborate and boost each other up. The system can work against the grain of that. The system can work against the grain of it organizationally, where maybe people aren't allocated to spend the time and energy needed to make those connections. And then when you go even deeper, in order to really put our best ideas out there, it's human nature that we will do that when we're rewarded. We're rewarded in the ways, both intrinsically and extrinsically, way, the ways that we need. So in terms of intrinsic motivation, when our place in that hierarchy or our place in our feeling of like our status is validated and you know our feelings of, of fairness and control, our ability to have kind of autonomy around what we're doing, All of those things have to be there. And in order for those to be there with other people, we need those connections. If we haven't been practicing this as adults, and in fact, if we're like someone like me, who maybe even had an inclination to want to practice these things and was pretty much told you won't get very far in this world, you know, as a woman in tech for for, for starters, even looking beyond that. Unless you practice leaving that, checking that at the door, well, then where where would these skills have come from? Enter, enter your and my conversations around framework, because what we both self-discovered was the the steps for gonna say reintroducing what is kind of basic, seems almost obvious, human connection, mm-hmm. uh, meeting human need. In a context where it's been kind of exorcised. And so it's, it's how do you bring it back in, in a very thoughtful, meaningful way, appropriate to the context where it, you know, you may have gotten a lot of messages that it doesn't belong there. I think that's probably the kicker, right? The, the key part of that is that how do you do it appropriate to the context, which 
as of right now, I mean, if if we're having this conversation and and or someone's thinking about it, then that means likely their context doesn't necessarily have that, right? So it's a, it's almost a, it's a twofold problem or two. I'll call it a twofold opportunity to not only look at it in terms of well, what are the skills in order to do that, right? So that the skills to humanize, we'll call it, and we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit, but to humanize, A, so what is the skills for me? And B, how do I even introduce something like that? And this, way, and this was actually probably our biggest challenge, Marlene, when we started down this path of, uh, of the leadership practitioners, how do you introduce these concepts into an environment that I claim almost systematically removed it in order to push ahead? Right. So it's like you're you're operating on these two levels at the same time. Mm-hmm. Back when I imagined what when we when we collaborated around it and then we we kind of upped the ante and were co-creating what became our framework, back sort of in its early nascent phase for me, that that feeling of the backpack, it really was about a kind of assurance system, a self-assurance system that I'm not completely crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That that when I want to connect with other people as a way of working, as a necessary piece for not just my connection with other people, but creating a context as a leader, creating a context for the people I'm working with and for, that that connection is worth spending the time on. That it will serve the larger transactions, even if you will, to not to not get distracted by the 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 day to day, the kind of quotidian transactionality, and not be distracted from the fact that this actually has to happen. And in a lot of cases, this has to happen first. What you're describing there, Marlene, sounds like the the first of of the practices from the framework in terms of shifting the mindset. Right, it's even starting from the idea of you got to shift the mindset around the value that you attribute to these skills and and what it contributes to the context in order to for you to to even open the door for you to believe that there is value in continuing on and and exploring what it means to be human again in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, as always, that opens the door for. The next step, which is then, okay, if we say this is important, then what are we doing to enable learning and improvement? What are we doing to create those conditions where learning is possible? As leaders, especially when we're in positions of being leaders without title, that can be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Because of that pressure to go, 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 do, 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 there's a certain amount of effort that we as leaders need to expand in order to create conditions for people to have time for learning and improvement. And we literally have to be able often to make a money argument around why learning and improvement actually will help with the bottom line. Well, that's that transactionality of it again, right? It's, it's, it's this recursive loop that you go into until you get to that moment where you're like, yes, this makes sense. Right. That's when you know that, at least in my mind, that's when you know that that shift has happened. You might be going back and forth, back and forth. It's like, okay, I've shifted a little bit knowing that, yes, this is probably the right way to do it. So I, sh- I should think about it differently. But then the system kind of constrains me to thinking about it. It's like, like you said, I got to build a business case, which then makes me think about it transactionally again. And you're going to go back and forth, back and forth for a little bit until you find that right reason. And that right reason or the, the thing that feels right that you're willing to sort of, let's call it defend, if you will, at all costs, 
to me, that's when you you know that that mind shift has happened and when you've set up that foundation for learning and improvement to happen. Yeah. And what I'm saying, though, is also even when I'm fully grounded in that practice and my mindset is crystal clear, I'm still working in a system where it might not be crystal clear for the people around me. Absolutely. And so I may need to act as a bit of a translator in order to create that space for the people I'm supporting, I may need to do some translating into that language of transactionality. You see what I'm saying? I do, which I mean, is it really comes then to making sure when you're thinking about it, that you're crystal clear about what your intentionality behind it is, right? When you set an intention to go down this path and reintroduce these concepts, these, as we keep calling it, humanizing things, sure, you might realize that you need to translate it back into that language of transactionality, totally for it, as long as it's with the intention of meeting people where they're at, and obviously then speaking the language where people are at, and then nudging them that quarter step forward to they themselves having that mindset shift, enabling learning and improvement, and then themselves setting an intention to do the same. Mm -hmm. And when I've set that intention to do that, it actually creates the conditions that allow me to show up as a leader far less reactive and far more able to respond. Because if I understand, and I'm very, very settled in why I'm doing what I'm doing, like why I'm focusing on creating the context that is not exclusively driven by transactionality, but that I have to talk the language of con you know, transactionality in some cases in order to create that that wiggle room, that working space, then when someone comes along and, you know, demands or 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 just simply requests and requires, right? Back to the hierarchies that we work in, requests and requires it, it to be delivered in language of transactionality, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna flip my gourd. I'm gonna understand that of course they need that in their own language. And I can respond to the situation and I can come up with the, you know, the, 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 um, what do we always say? You know, the minimum, the minimum thing that could possibly work in that situation to help create more room. And hopefully even in that relationship, humanize that, right? Meet that person where they are, create the conditions to allow them to thrive and so to humanize that space, even while respecting their need for transactionality. Which ultimately, what are you then doing? You're modeling the way forward, mm -hmm. right? You're and gently inviting that person into potentially a new context for that person. Like you're literally, rather than saying, I hereby want to humanize our interaction and therefore we will humanize our interaction, which funny enough, doesn't sound human at all, <laughs> right? You're... <laughs> You are modeling the way in which you would like that context to work while at the same time being very cognizant, as you said, of what the other person needs and then bringing them along, right? Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And in doing so, funny enough, the fact, even the fact that you're doing that is already humanizing the interaction. It is because it's a fundamentally, it, it's taking an empathetic stance in relationship to a system that dehumanizes through its transactionality. And when we do that, we model 
you know, it's like, you know, believe in the thing by, you know, believe in the thing by practicing it first, right? Like it, you model how you want it to be. Right. And then the best part is, is that afterwards, after you've done that, and hopefully sort of created that context around both you and the person, or in this case, maybe even we think about it like a bubble. The best for me is being able to then at some point, like when you know you've really made a difference, when at some point randomly or as part of the conversation, the other person kind of turns around to you and, and, and starts off a conversation by, hey, uh, Merlene, something is different here. I'm not sure what it is. Something feels different. And that is such a beautiful moment. And then you can have a little conversation, almost like a debrief as to, hey, so this is what's been going on. And that moment when someone looks almost like back in, in the history and starts piecing together all of those points where you are showing rather than telling how the context could be. And then they have that moment of insight where it's like, wow, I mean, you've been doing this all along. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm thinking of examples of that. Like I'm thinking of the moment where, where someone was like, oh, that's why you never call people resources. <laughs> yeah, that one's my favorite one. Yes. How many people do you know, Marlene, that like being called a resource? Hmm. But, but, but if I went to that person in the beginning and I said, how many people do you know like being called a resource, right? That wouldn't be responding to their context and engaging with them empathetically. Um, but when they have that moment and they make that observation, as you were saying, that is so much more powerful. So now we're talking about the situations in which even just like at this point, someone might already be cluing in. I'm going to hazard to say that most of these types of interactions are probably going to be a little bit more complicated than that, might probably take a little, like, lot longer than that and would require some extra steps, which is why when we look, when we shift over into like the outer practices of the framework and we start thinking about connecting and empathizing with others. In that process of everything that we just talked about, that we were effectively describing the modeling of, that's what we're doing. When we say something like meet people where they're at, that's another way of saying connecting with them on a level that is not transactional because that's not where they are at. That's where the work is at. Mm -hmm. Making the distinction between the work and the people and understanding that work, you know, the, the work and the people are not mutually exclusive because you need people in order for the work to be done. So the first part was connecting. And then when we say, and empathizing with others, right? Again, going back to that phrase, meeting people where they're at, notice I added before and nudging them a quarter step forward. That's that, that empathy part. It's like kind of seeing, seeing the world from their context and their shoes and what would it take or what would make it possible Maybe what would make it important enough? It doesn't matter. Even the fact that you're having the thinking around these types of questions, that's where the empathy comes from. That's where you're literally taking yourself out of your own shoes, trying to see the world from the other person and meeting them and helping them through, inviting. Mm -hmm. Inviting rather than instructing, inviting rather than scolding, <laughs> telling <laughs> all of these other words, right? Right. And and invitation isn't, I mean, invitation can be embedded in the language that we use, right? That language of possibility, that language of curiosity. It can be in the language that is more direct. You know, we can literally invite 
We can invite people to join us in a space, either using, the, you know, we can use the word co-create or we can set aside the word co-create because I know some people out in the world, they're not ready to hear the word co-create. <laughs> no. But if I have a screen open and I'm saying, hey, what do you think about this? And as they're talking and sharing their ideas, I jot their ideas down. We are co-creating. We just don't have to call it that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's out of practice number two, right? Exploring curiously, right? Even in the way that you're doing that, you're showing your empathy, you're connecting on that lower level than the, just the transactionality. Because if we were focused on the transactionality, it would be more like, okay, what's your thought? Okay, this is my thought and this is what we're doing. Done. There's no exploration there. There's no curiosity. There's no looking at how do we, how do we build off of each other's ideas? There's none of that, right? Because we have a problem to solve and we're going to go zoom straight into solving it. And in fact, that's actually what we were talking about in the last episode, right? Zooming in and zooming out. Mm-hmm. And I'm also hearing something else in what you're saying. There, there could very well be cooperation, mm-hmm. but there isn't even yet collaboration until there's some kind of understanding of where somebody is coming from. Because if you don't understand where somebody's coming from, collaboration, like you're actually missing in an ele- a necessary element for collaboration because collaboration, you actually have to have the same goal. And how can you know that you've got the same goal if you don't in fact get to know where that person is coming from? In fact, I'm and I'm just thinking of situations where we've had like goal setting meetings and stuff like that. I'm thinking so many times we all decided on a goal. The words were the same, but the meanings were so different. Why? Because we didn't explore what the words meant. It's like, oh, the words sound amazing. We all agree on what the words were at that transactional level of the words. We didn't explore curiously at all as to the fact that your definition of those words and my definition of those words, even though we're using the same words, might be completely different. Mm -hmm, Because we haven't yet taken that time to develop a shared language, which can only come into being through that exploration and taking the time to do that. And taking the time to connect and empathize and then explore. You can't shortchange that. Right. This is this is the beauty of it, right? Like you keep going back to the beginnings, right? And and start every time. What's my mindset here? What how am I learning? How am I showing up with intention? So we have that. And then okay, let's say we're we're finally doing that. You know, we're we're on the same page. Things are moving along quite well. And now we get to this other thing that we like doing, which is sharing information. Now you can even if you've done all of the work beforehand to humanize, if you know you share information in such a way where it's like none of that, where you're not taking co- connection and empathy into it or taking any of the data that you would have otherwise gotten um, from exploring curiosity, or maybe you didn't do any of it, you're going to start sharing information and boom, we are right back to square one, right? Because the way in which we might share information if we're, we hadn't done the work that we've just been talking about, you're going to go straight to transactionality because that's what we know how to do naturally. You mean something like, hey, JR, let me share with you the information of exactly what I want you to do. Right, right. And if you have a different idea, fine, great, but this is what I want you to do. <laughs> right. Or, or if you have a different idea, you can make a case for it and then we'll we'll play the zero sum game where either your idea or my idea is going to be the idea, mm-hmm. right? Like in that context, then there is no way to collaborate. Now you're starting to, 
hopefully, as we're, we're talking through this, kind of like seeing how all of these things piece together. Doing each of the practices on their own probably might get you closer if we look at it as a scale of not humanized connection to totally humanized. So you'll get a little bit. The real magic of working the the framework steps, sort of the, the practices in those orders is to really maximize, really maximize how much humanity you can bring in, which is why just circling back to Marlene, how you started the conversation, I remember in that learning circle, when we got the question, well, how do you humanize? We both like, without even thinking, we both answered, well, that's what the framework is for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just do the framework. Mm-hmm. And but not not in a mechanical way. No, that would be another transaction. Right, exactly. And and they're given in steps, but there's a kind of recursiveness that we've talked about and an iterativeness that we've talked about. So you can start at any point in the framework, and then you'll probably find yourself tapping into all of the other waypoints as you loop and loop around and loop around again, because the framework is our articulation of how to do this. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. We invite you to share your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on how you practice leadership. Join us in the Leadership Practitioner Connection, our community of like-minded practitioners who aspire to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work. You can find it at leadershippractitioner.org slash connection. Mm-hmm.